0: This morning, we are starting a new sermon series where we're talking about what it means to be spiritually healthy. Every single year, we, most of us anyway, sign up for an annual physical. And when we sign up for that annual physical, we protect it as a priority. When we find out that a friend has a physical, even if we want them to join us for a fun event or an important meeting— We don't challenge them to change their appointment because we know how important it is for us to take care of our physical health. We make sure that each year we are doing what we can to prioritize our bodies. So the question is, do we place the same strong prioritization on examining our spiritual health? Do we protect the time that we have in making sure that we are examining every part of our spiritual existence to see if it is thriving and growing in the life of Jesus Christ? Over the next eight weeks, we are going to be doing the same kind of examination that we often do for our physical exams, but applying it to our spiritual health and growth. As we examine our spiritual health, we are going to be asking ourselves some of the same questions that we ask about our bodies. Where in our spiritual life are we feeling anemic? Or weak? Or sick? Are there parts of our spiritual life that don't function the way that they, we feel like they should? Where are the places where we need a prescription? or some help, maybe some exercises, or a change in our spiritual diet. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be asking ourselves, what can we do to build a spiritual life that is strong enough and healthy enough to last us through eternity? So, as we consider that, starting today, we're going to be having our annual eye exam, which is probably one of the least intrusive exams that we'll get in the next eight weeks. But I will invite you to turn yourself to meet with me to Matthew 6, verses 22 through 23. This is Jesus speaking and teaching the people. He says, No one can serve. Nope, he says that later. He says this, The eye of the lamp is of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. We're then going to turn over to the book of Ephesians. This is a letter written by Paul, and it's right at the beginning. As he shares his prayer for the people of Ephesus, he says this. the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immovable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this, this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of all, all over, over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. We are asking, God, that you will examine us, not just what the outer parts of us show, not just what we can see from one another, but the most secret parts of our heart. Examine us and show us how we can become stronger and healthier in our relationship with you and in experiencing the fullness of life that you have given us as a gift. Reveal in us anything that needs to be addressed or changed. Give us humility and then fill us with courage that we might be people of light in an era of darkness. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you have seen them in museums that hold artifacts from the ancient societies of Egypt or Turkey or maybe Greece or anywhere throughout the Mediterranean. Or maybe you have seen them more recently in popular jewelry and fashion, pieces carved by indigenous artisans or even bejeweled on an outfit worn by Kim Kardashian. They consist of three concentric circles— of white, blue, and then black in the middle. It's called the evil eye amulet. And they have been crafted over millennia to ward off the curse of the evil eye. Now, the curse of the evil eye was believed to have the potential to tangibly harm both people and things. Ancient societies believed that Squinting or squeezing the eye while glaring at someone, sort of like this, could change the life of the person who was receiving the glare. It could strip that person of success or could cause a stumble in that person's good fortune. Traces of this evil eye tradition they can be found in the Hebrew Bible as well. Proverbs 16:30 it says: he who winks with his eye is plotting perversity he who purses his lips is bent on evil or you could go to psalm 35:19 which says let not those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause let not those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye and then job 15:12 and it says Why has your heart carried you away? Why do your eyes flash? My opponent fastens on me with piercing eyes. In each of these passages, the act of glaring at someone maliciously, of giving the evil eye, are strongly condemned because the evil eye was evidence of a corrupted nature. Ancient societies believed that people who glared maliciously were spiritually corrupted. That is because the eye was also thought to be directly linked to the heart. And the heart was understood to be the physical organ of thought, desire, and emotion within the human body. In ancient thinking, eyes expressed the innermost feelings and desires of the heart. Therefore, a good eye revealed a morally good or generous person, whereas an evil eye exposed a heart that was envious, greedy, and jealous. Today, in our modern era, We understand the eye to be an organ that receives light. Light goes into our eye. It's seen upside down. Our brain translates it by flipping that light right side up so that you and me can see as we see each and every day with our feet below us and the sky above. But according to ancient convictions about eyes and vision, the eye was physiologically regarded as an organ that emitted light. Greek philosopher Plutarch believed that the human eye had the power to release invisible rays of energy that were in some cases potent enough to kill children and small animals. More often than not, Those said to be the ones who were the most adept at delivering the curse of the evil eye were blue-eyed, probably because blue eyes were such a genetic reality, a rarity in the Mediterranean era, which is why that amulet, the one that has withstood the test of time, the one that has received new popularity today, has that concentric blue circle in the middle. Because it was thought that that blue eye was the only thing that could protect us from the curse of another blue eye. In order to understand Jesus' words in our scripture for today, it's important for us to understand the ancient belief that the spiritual character and heart of a person was determined by whether or not their eyes functioned properly. Someone with eyes that glared and squinted revealed a heart that is selfish and greedy and envious, a heart that's unwilling to share with those in need. And so it was understood that people who glared we're tangibly sending darkness out into the world through the energy that it was admitted through the eye. By contrast, the eye that was open and curious reflected a heart of moral integrity, generosity, and light. The book of Proverbs affirms this kind of ancient thinking. In verse 22, 9, it says, he who has bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. And Proverbs twenty-nine thirteen says that the Lord is the one who gives light to the eyes. In the opposite vein, there are seven places within the Hebrew Bible, within the Old Testament, where eyes have become darkened. All of them were the eyes of people who had lost sight of God over time, such as the priest Eli in the story about Samuel. South African scholar Francois Viljeune says that in ancient times, lightness and dark were metaphors for truth versus untruth, for knowledge versus ignorance, and for being versus non-being. He says, darkness is to the worst degree the nature of a corpse, which has no ability for cognition. Only if the human heart is illuminated by light can cognition take place. It's important because It helps us to understand what Jesus is saying here in our scripture passage for today, as well as what Paul is saying to the Ephesians when Paul talks about the eyes of the heart. In our gospel reading in the book of Matthew, Jesus' teaching on the eye, being the lamp of the body, is sandwiched between two other stories. It's sandwiched between the teaching of not storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth because Wherever our treasure is, our heart is going to be there also. And followed by the teaching about how no one can serve two masters. It's either God or it's money. That's because this sandwiching is because for Jesus, the health of our eyes is connected to the well-being of the community and people around us. Do we greedily stare at those who have more than we do? Or do we fail to see the people around us who are in need when we have the ability to readily give? Either way, Jesus says, we are emitting darkness out into the world. We today might not understand our eyes in the same way that ancient people did, as some kind of lasers for darkness or light that could kill small children at a second. But what Jesus is saying is not diminished by our changed understanding of human physiology. I really love how Eugene Peterson translates our gospel passage for today, he phrases it this way. Your eyes are the windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. And if you pull the blinds down on your windows, what a dark life you will lead. Friends, Jesus wants us to have healthy eyes. And to have healthy eyes, Jesus asks us to see the world around us clearly and honestly, and then to respond to that world that we see with curiosity and generosity and humility so what kind of perception or what kind of prescription might we need in order to tune the eyes of our hearts to God's grace are we nearsighted focusing clearly on what we immediately need but blind to the needs of others unable to see beyond ourselves Or are we farsighted? Are we constantly looking with envy and judgment at others, holding them in disdain, wondering what they're going to do next, but unable to accurately see what's right in front of us? Perhaps we have spiritual cataracts where everything that we look at is cloudy and unclear. We just can't see how God might be moving. Or maybe we suffer from a spiritual macular degeneration where we can only see the peripheral issues clearly and are unable to focus on the things that are central. Friends, what prescription do we need today to keep us from squinting and glaring at God and to keep us from squinting and glaring at one another? What spiritual procedure will allow us to look at the world around us with eyes that are wide open and that fill us with light? Whatever prescription we need, and it might be different for you and me. It might be different between you and your neighbor. Whatever prescription it is that we need, I can tell you this, that that prescription is offered to us in the life and person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one who fills us with light. Light is there for us. If only we will open and receive it. As Paul says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we come to know him, so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened we may know what is the hope to which Jesus has called us. If you fear that you can't see Christ clearly, if you worry that you can't see the light when the darkness swells in to overwhelm you, then friends, let us open our eyes. Take your prescription, go to the procedure, and let God show us all there is to wonder. Amen.